This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. They tried to make me go to rehab, I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. I ain't got the time, and if my daddy thinks I'm fine, they tried to make me go to rehab. Good evening and welcome to Hooked, Joy 94.9's new program about addiction. Research shows that the LGBTI community has addiction problems of at least twice that of the general population and we want to explore why and how this has come about. There are many suffering addiction, many more that are affected by those in active addiction and people that are grateful in recovery. My name is David. G'day everybody, I'm Russ and we are here to talk about um, addiction. What are some of the reasons behind this problem? Are there pathways towards recovery and change? How does addiction affect our loved ones, family members and partners of those in active addiction? You know, David and I aren't experts, aren't we? No, we're not. We're just a couple of mates who both happen to be in recovery together. But we believe that there needs to be a conversation set out in the GLBGI community about there certainly does. addiction. There certainly does. It's not being had. Well, we're trying to do that. If you'd like to join us in that conversation, you can SMS us on 0427-JOIN-949. That's 0427-569-949. Or email us at onair at joy.org.au or hooked at joy.org.au. If you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 226 which is 1300 224636. Now, David, I am pleased to let our listeners know tonight we are talking about three amazing topics, aren't we? Well, we have, and that's why if you do want to send us a message, you might want to on one of these topics. So we're doing hoarding tonight, hoarding as an addiction. We're also talking about gambling as an addiction tonight. And we're going to have a bit of fun. Well, I don't know addiction's fun, but we're going to talk a little bit about stats all over the world to do with um, drugs, alcohols and other forms of addiction. So, yes, this evening, hoarding is on the list, as is gambling. And if you'd like to send in a message, you can do so by a calling in on... one three hundred five six nine nine four nine. In fact, Robert's on the reception at the moment. And he will fabulous. take your call yep. and pass on a message. Or you can email us at onair at joy.org.au or you can SMS us at 0427 549 I'm glad you remembered that. Now we've got to go straight to a guest. Well there's a little bit of news first. Oh yes I um, do apologise. Now I don't know whether you didn't make it along to the parade yesterday, you're probably listening to it on Joy 94.9 but I did see the Clean and Sober group. I have some uh, friends in that group. They were marching up towards the end of the, the march but it was great to see their presence there and they are people that are obviously clean and sober. Yep. And also I had a chat to Fiona Patton just before the march I marched with Joy 94.9 yesterday, which was well great. Done. Fiona is very interested in coming on our program, so that should happen in the next few weeks or so. Well, those guys in the um, the Clean and Sober group, the March of Pride March, they mm. um, march every year and they go under this one banner, Clean and Sober, because they're from Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Overeaters or SLA. Um, so there's quite so a they're f- from one of the 12-step programs. One of the 12-step okay. programs and they all get to meet. The other weird bit of news this year... Um, oh, this today, week, today... I know well, what you're going to talk about. Yeah, it's, it 
It's about um, AFL football player Jack Wallace. What are you doing? Did oh. you see him snorting a white substance off a woman's breast? I At will the Oktoberfest mm-hmm. in, uh, well, October, I'd say. Now, there has been a huge investigation, David. Huge. <laughs> yes. He's an AFL player. I know. So, and, and should be setting by example, as we all know. And just so you do know, he was only snorting sugar. Off yeah, a it's a breast. sucrose or sugar sort of um, mixture with peppermint and it's a very traditional thing to do at mm. Oktoberfest but of course that gives the wrong message to uh, certainly children that are, um, you know, are exposed to the photos of one of their heroes That's right. in the football world. Anyway, I'm sure that if there's anyone listening tonight that have snorted sugar off your partner's breast, we'd love to hear from or you. Or chest. That's right. Now we better go to... Addiction of the Week! Ta-da! Now, there's something I want to do just before we launch into it. I want to make sure that we have Nurse Betty on the line. Nurse Betty, are you there? I most certainly am. Oh, thank goodness for that. We're, what are we talking about tonight, Russ? We're talking about hoarding. But before I go there, Nurse Betty, have you ever snorted sugar off your partner's breast? I can't say I have. No. I think the crystals would hurt like shit. <laughs> it's something new. You learn something new every day in this job, don't you? Oh, yeah, indeed. It's, um, I hadn't heard about the Oktoberfest um, performance either, I thought. That's an interesting development. It sure as hell is. Hey, listen, um, are you a hoarder? I, um, I've got leanings that way, I have to confess. I find it very difficult to get rid of stuff. Okay. Ask my partner, he'll tell you. But there is a point where hoarding does become quite, uh, whether it's an addiction or not, we can discuss, but it, where hoarding does actually become a bit of a problem. Look, hoarding is a problem for people and, and it's really linked with, if you watch the TV programs, you'll know that the, what tends to happen is that when the hoarders are supported and get the kind of emotional, psychological support they need, they find that they're struggling with fear of losing things, that things that they may need, might need at some place in the future. They have distorted beliefs about how important things are to them, that, you know, memories of childhood things that, you know, maybe a toy takes them back to a time and they can't live without it. And excessive emotional attachment to their belongings. You know, there's, um, there's, there's a suggestion that people who have very little, you know, and then maybe as they get older, manage to acquire things. So then they get a, a, a kind of over-important attachment to things. And throwing things away and trying to get people to throw things away actually causes anxiety attacks and makes them really... I mean, again, if you've seen these programs, you'll you'll know how difficult it is for some people. They're they're so enmeshed. And animal hoarding, I think, is is you know we've seen programs with the animal hoarders, the people who have you know two hundred cats or two hundred puppies, and and really awful shopping scenes where you know sometimes the animals are dead and have been dead. There are carcasses around, and I mean, when you think about it, there's no question that they're hoarding to these levels is a really disturbing element of someone's mental health. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, interestingly, the, st- the stats show that it's more, um, you know, it can happen quite um, uh, a lot in the elderly population. I did have a um, yeah. a friend once who, you know, we, we um, uh, cleaned up his flat after he sadly passed away and there were, you know, half a million newspapers in there. There were collections yep. of CDs and tapes over many, many, many years and uh, it yep. just you just wonder what gets them to that point. And, and these days it's all seen as, as, as quite clinically untreatable. Is that right, Betty? Yeah, there are, there are, there are treatments. 
And and when, David, you said about we'll have a conversation about whether or not this addiction, one of the reasons that there's, there's, a, there's a large debate going on in mental health circles around is it an addiction or is it compulsive behaviour, is it's about getting the right treatment because, as, as we all know, with addictive behaviour, addiction tends to come about because of a pleasurable experience that, you know, with the substance gives a, a huge release of dopamine and, and we experience massive amounts of pleasure. Whereas what we're finding with hoarders and compulsive behaviours is that they tend to be an avoidance of pain. So automatically you've got a very different sense of, of what's going on, you know, like addiction is about pleasure, hoarding is not, avoidance of pain. We know that um, there are some certain physiological changes that happen in the brain when people have addiction. It's been proven scientifically. That's not been proven with hoarding. There's no evidence so far to suggest that there are any you know, physiological changes in the brain. So why it's important that we determine whether or not it is an addiction is so that people get the right treatment as you guys will both know you know like the the idea that people can't get better from addiction there's a lot of stigma around addiction there's a lot of stigma around hoarding but you know the the two things combined can make people avoid treatment for a very very long time yeah look i see that it is a subtype of uh, obsessive compulsive disorder uh, but also yeah. that uh, there's often a, a link between the problem of hoarding and people do go on to try and relieve some of the pain that they're experiencing once again turning to drugs and alcohol and it sort of becomes yep, a, yep. an even bigger cycle uh, where people have yeah. all of this stuff and they're unable to live in their own homes virtually or virtually, you know, they've, they've lost rooms, they've lost space and all that sort of stuff and then they might yep. turn to alcohol or other drugs, um, you know, uh, opiates and, and all sorts of things. How would you imagine, yep. as Betty, that um, someone with hoarding um, would ID that there's an issue? Sorry, say that again. How, how would they? How would you identify that someone might have a might have an issue with with hoarding and, and do need help? I mean, is it the fact that there's so much clutter and every spare surface in their house is covered with something that they, you might hear bells ringing? Then, you know, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I could imagine that um, you know, if you're elderly, lonely, you don't have much human contact, and then you're a candidate for 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 this type of um, um, sure. illness. So certainly, what what else could um, family members look out for? I think the, the, other, the other experience that people have is, you know, as you get older, you get more physically frail and it becomes harder to clean. I think, you know, a lot of the experience of, of ageing for people is, is, a, is a, you know, a, a, an insidious kind of creep of, of the experience of being frail, not having enough energy, not having the time. And then when, you know, hoarders tend to be um, perfectionist kind of people. They tend to be people who need something just so. Yeah, I was They're about to uh, say, James, sorry to interrupt, but uh, these right. are the people that would actually put um, an amazing front on, like most, and this is why it sort of ties back into addictive behaviour, um, putting on that amazing front where they come out of their home immaculately dressed every single day or they yep. present themselves at uh, social occasions looking fantastic and whatever, but at the same time, there's that whole secret that's left behind the front door. Yeah, and, and the sad thing about it, as, as with many mental health issues, is that there's always a range. You know, you can go from one extreme to the other. You can, you can have the perfectionist and the fastidiousness, but we also know that there's an element of neglect of self-care. People drop, you know, drop their hygiene standards. When you're living among filth, you know, it, it becomes easier or, or more difficult to be aware of the fact that you are living among 
filth. And like everything, people get immune to it. When something goes on and on and on, and it's a slow creep, the newspaper piles, the the, the possessions that, that just slowly get more and take over. And, and often when hoarders are confronted or supported to get help, they are they are usually their their realization that they've been hoarding and how it's taken over their house is really painful for them. They can turn a blind eye to it because, as you say, they're often lonely. They often live on their own. Um, there's there's some element where they they may become increasingly antisocial, and then when they're confronted by their loved ones, the guilt, the shame, all of those things kick in that perpetuate their denial. It's yeah. a it's a it's a really awful I mean it's an awful situation to be in and it makes makes for difficult treatment sometimes mm-hmm. because what what happens is with the lack of self care and the lack of hygiene, people stop going. People stop caring. Right, and yeah. people don't know that they're in those in, in those shoes. I mean certainly I can look I'm hearing how you're describing all of this, Betty, and I can for me I could just imagine the fear that's going through their mind if someone turned up on their doorstep one day to try to clean the mess up. It, it just sounds what, more like that a uh, real team approach is actually needed and whether it be through social workers or um, neighbours or landlords, that sort of thing, or, or um, you know, even just the community centres cleaner coming around to help you out a little bit, something like that. But obviously it's a, a rather big team effort is needed in this sort of thing. And also to break down that isolation as well. Yeah, and there's also cause, we, you know, we believe that there's cause for medication as well, but often we'll find that people who've been hoarding have been depressed for a long time. And they'll they'll sometimes they'll need a bit of you know some antidepressant antidepressant or if the the idea of cleaning up and and getting rid of these you know these essential items that they've come to to value so highly that can cause anxiety so they might need a, a bit of help and a bit of support with some anxiolytics some medication that helps them get through the idea that you know they are, these are things that are so important to them that they that to them they feel life threatening that they're going to lose them there's also there's also a bit of um, it's very common that people get a bit of help and the, and again the programs we've seen on TV they'll often be um, a psychologist or a psychotherapist or somebody with a mental health background it, it's not enough to just have a team of people the, the mm. physical labor is overwhelming but as you'll see on the programs you can never get to the physical labour unless or until you start dealing with the, the psychological distress. I was going to say it's really important. The other really important thing is that you have to make sure that the hoarding is not a symptom of another psychiatric disorder. So, right. you know, clarity around what's causing it is absolutely essential. It's funny and interesting when both times we've, we've had you on the program, Nurse Betty, you mentioned this dual symptom or dual addiction. It's very complicated um, mental health issues, isn't it? Yes. I mean, the reality is that there's people's mental health is highly complex and highly individual. You know, we, we know that, say, for instance, people with a diagnosis of schizophrenia, you can talk over 12 conversations with 12 people and they'll all tell you a different story about what the illness is like. And that's something that we've always got to have in the back of our mind. Why one person becomes a hoarder may be absolutely and 100% irrelevant to the next person that you're talking to. But we do know that there are often people who've experienced and failed to work through some kind of grief or some kind of personal pain. Wow. Now, we, we do have to move on to our next guest, Nurse Betty, but just a bit of advice, if I may. I, I have kept every pair of jeans since I was a size 32, and yeah. I'm now a size 36, and I can't throw them away. Do you think I'm hoarding? No, I, I think what you really need to do is get the cut the asses out of them. You know, you can start wearing them out and about to 
you know, some of the costume parties that you yeah. might be tempted okay. to go So you think I could still wear really them? Tight, really, really tight jeans will really accentuate those buns of yours. Oh, they oh certainly thank you very will. much. They they so, I do need to, so all I need to do is cut out the butt, is, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, thank you once again, Nurse Betty. I just want to move on from there because the visuals are coming through. But thank you so much, Nurse Betty, and we're looking forward to having you on the show again very soon. Cool. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. This is Hooked on Joy 94.9. Yes, you are listening to Hooked on Joy 94.9. We've received a quick SMS. Uh, Hi, guys. Loving the show. Just came in from having a cool spara and a glass of wine. Tristan, thank you very much for your message tonight, and it's great to know that people are listening. If you have any questions, certainly about gambling, we're going to be talking very soon about that, and also trends of addiction around the world, which will be filling up our next half an hour as well. Yes, our next guest is... Send us um, a message. ...is, is certainly um, an expert on gambling addiction, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to SMS your questions into 0427 569 we would love to hear from you. Now, we have on the line Tanya Fletcher. Now, she's from Responsible Gambling Victoria, and she's head of the Foundation's Prevention and Programs branch, and I'm just going to bring her in here... Hello, Tanya. Hello, David. How are you? Look, I'm always relieved to hear the voice on the line because, you know, I'm operating a radio <laughs> panel here and it can be difficult. Now, the reason you came to attention was because I was just doing some surfing on the net and one day, all of a sudden, something came up called the 100-Day Challenge. And I want to talk about that in a moment, but I'd really love to hear first from you. What does Responsible Gambling Victoria do and how's it set up? Okay, so the Responsible Gambling Foundation is a statutory authority, so it's a state government entity and it's funded through a trust called the Community Support Fund, which is actually funded from um, gaming revenues and um, the foundation has first call on the funds of that to assist people with problem gambling and to look at gambling harm. So this is like, uh, you know, 0.000 whatever percent of every dollar that's gambled in the state of Victoria goes towards that fund and you're able to draw on that? Yeah, something like that. So we do a number of different things. So uh, we fund research and, um, and that research goes to things like understanding better what gambling harm looks like and that it's not just, I guess, what you and I would probably coming into it think of as problem gambling, which is really down the very severe addiction end, if you like, but that gambling harm can also include things like just, you know, not being able to afford things the way you used to be, um, the shame and and feelings of regret that often come with it. And so looking at it more broadly, I guess, beyond the addiction space as well and understand how uh, people are affected. Because what we found out through our research is that if you look at it from a public health perspective, about 85% of the harm that's experienced by Victorians is actually in that low to moderate risk category mm-hmm. and it's only really a- around 15% that's in that down that severe end so that's that's still significant well, you're talking 15%, about um, yeah it definitely sounds like yeah, a lot of people yeah well it is you're still talking at over 80,000 people in Victoria that are experiencing severe harm so yes it's significant 
I can, I can, um, sorry, Tanya, yeah. it's Russ here. I'm, I'm with Dave tonight. Hi, Russ. Hi. I just, I'm, and, and talking about the harm that you're talking about, we were um, just chatting before the show, and I'm, I'm one of those gamblers that if I go to the casino or, or <laughs> wherever and I lose $20, I'm really angry with myself. You're done. Yeah, yeah I'm done. I'm in and out. But it, it, it must be really heartbreaking for people that, that, that it goes the other way for, even if it is a small amount of money. It, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real thing for them, isn't it? Oh, look, it is. And I think um, often what we hear from people is that they don't actually realise that they're being harmed initially. Often it's not until things get, get quite bad, you know. So some people have that experience that you've talked about where they know their limits, they lose a little bit, it's part of their disposable income and that's all okay. But for other people, um, it can be a little while before they suddenly realise, oh my gosh, you know, I'm losing more than I really want to. I can't um, put that food on the table that I wanted to be able to. I can't buy that pair of shoes I wanted. You know, right down to, goodness, I'm experiencing financial stress. I can't pay my bills. I'm fighting with my partner. Um, And, you know, I can't concentrate on my work or study. So... So for some people, it's not until they start to get there that they actually realise that they've actually got a problem that they might need to deal with. And yep. did you just say that there's 80,000 80, Victorias in that bracket particularly? It, it, well, 80,000 down the severe end. So wow, you're talking gosh. about people that are severe financial stress, um, you know, potentially involved in intimate partner violence, relationship breakdown, losing houses, that sort of thing. So, mm. yeah. But even before that stage, there's a lot of people as well. Now, I've got to make a disclosure here. I actually uh, worked in a well-known casino here in Melbourne. I can't (laughs) mention their name, but there is one of them. And look, it wasn't that I saw gambling addiction on a daily basis, but you would certainly identify some of the people that were there every day. You know, it it was not that it was distressing because, once again, an addiction where people put on the best front and they try and make it look like everything's okay, even though mm. they might be scrambling from one table to another table. And the places are, you know, I mean, a casino is scientifically designed for the maximum effect of their business model, just as an app for gambling on a telephone for betting and things like that is scientifically designed to ring every bell and push every buzzer in order for people to adhere to it as well. Um, Now, you're addressing the other side of it. And is Gambler's Help Line, is that part of your foundation? Yeah, so we fund community organisations to help people, you know, with support. And um, yes, we also fund the Gambler's Helpline. So that operates 24-7. So if people do need to ring and have a chat to someone, they can call 1800 858 858. Funny, I wrote down the number as well. But, yeah, it's a pretty easy number, one eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight. So that's somebody, if, yeah. if they're having immediate problems or if they've finally got to the end of their tether, uh, they're not yeah. going to get credit by any means, but they will certainly get support. And that is 24-7. It's 24-7, yes. Now, Tanya, the big deal in your neck of the woods at the moment is this 100-day challenge. Yeah, so and let me tell you about the 100-day challenge. Please. <laughs> so the 100-day challenge is really an attempt to reach Um, a lot of people that may not turn up for counselling or may not be at that stage. So we know that something like only about 10% of people will actually seek formal help. So we'll actually go and look for counselling or look for that sort of thing. And in fact, only about 20% of people that are down that severe gambling end will even speak to their family and friends about it. So there's a significant number of people that just find it very difficult to seek help. And we know that's because of the shame and stigma attached with that. So the 100-day challenge is really an attempt to provide an alternative way for 
people to really um, take another look at their gambling. So it's designed not just for people that might want to stop, it's designed for people that might want to take a break or just reconsider how they're doing their gambling. So it's online, so it's a web-based and an app-based program. What's their website, Tanya? The website is 100dc.com.au. Now, unbeknownst Uh, to you, Tanya, I actually... I downloaded the app today and I've actually joined up. Oh, I don't have a gambling problem, but I just wanted to see how easy it is. It took me like, yeah. I don't know, about two and a half, three minutes to actually yeah. download the app, join in and log in. And straight yeah. away I started coming across some of the messages from people like uh, day yeah. 15 and I was feeling the urge. I really didn't, I really want to commit because I was over the lying and the scheming to get to a yeah. pokey venue. It's tough, but I'm determined. Hope this helps others out there. And, you know, yeah. somebody else says I'm on day eight now, feeling okay, trying not to think too far ahead as I'm working at the moment, hope I go okay in my time off. And it was, it was yeah. some of the personal stories that certainly touched my heart, uh, but also yeah. there are really practical ways to um, do other things other than gambling. That's right. And look, that's, that's the essence of it. I mean, you've talked about the community forum, which is incredibly powerful for, for people, um, and also this idea that look at 100 alternate activities for gambling over 100 days. And so, yes, the app will give you a whole lot of tips and tricks and ideas for how you might actually go about doing that, whether it's, you know, planning a, planning a trip so you're doing something else with your finances to something really simple like going to a movie. What's yeah. your, uh, what's your favourite activity yes. on there, Tanya? Uh, taking a bath. <laughs> I noticed it. Well, well whose favourite activity wouldn't that wouldn't be, be that? I, I noticed yeah. somebody actually just put down they had a list of two things to do that day and one was to do to wash the car and the other one was to do a little <laughs> bit of gardening. But it was it's certainly uh, doing something more constructive than gambling. And and honestly, I, I was almost in tears with some of the uh, testimonies that I was reading yeah. where people have obviously got to that stage where they need to do something to to do the break. What sort of success are you having with this 100-day challenge? It's been, I think it's been um, heavily advertised too, hasn't it? Yeah, so we've got over six months, we've had about 4,000 people sign up, which is um, beyond what we were expecting. Um, but more than that, I think the, the community forum has absolutely exceeded our expectations. There's been something like 13,000 posts in six months and I mean you've referred to just a few of them but this um, really supportive environment and and people can remain completely anonymous so you don't have to disclose who you are but at the same time these people are really getting to know each other and supporting each other and just really urging each other to keep going because you know part of recovering is relapse as well and um, you need to just be able to pick yourself up and and even just know that you're, you're chatting with people that are, you know, going through the same thing as you, trying to overcome the same things. And they've got their own um, assistant or their own ideas of what, what works and what doesn't. You can share all of those. I'll tell you what, it's a fantastic so, way to take away the stigma when you're actually talking to somebody yeah. who's got the same issue that you have. What a, what a great idea. What sort of advice could people expect to get from the, um, the app or the website if they were looking at, at different ideas or ways to stop? Yeah. So there's tips on there for, for example, managing your finances, um, which I think is often a really practical thing that people need assistance with. Just, you know, tips on how to control urges. There's also the ability when you're in the app, again, just to know how to to get help straight away, the number's there. So if you want to pick up the phone and ring someone, you can. And then you've just got what people are actually posting about what's working for them. And that, that seems to be really helpful as well. So... Yeah, one of my favourite stories is from a lady called Anne. She says things like, you know, you can bear your soul and you're not judged. It's important. And Yeah, and, you know, she's now on her third 
go. And so she's just kept going because it's actually working for her. And she said she's now starting to feel like a fog's lifting. And this is someone that has had a 30-year addiction. So that story really sticks with me. And we all know that relapse relapse shouldn't be seen as a stigma or you're you're, you're not good enough. These things just happen to people. Well, we're not perfect, right? We're only human, exactly. What's this, um, the button regarding setting goals? What what does that involve for for a person with a gambling issue? Um, so that that's a very personal thing. So that might be a savings goal. Um, as I said earlier, you know, one of the things we know that can be effective for people is just to come up with something that they want more um, than to spend their money on gambling. So, you know, you may want to um, save towards something or you may want to plan a trip overseas. So that will help you set goals there. You may have goals around just your relationship with your partner if there's been um, challenges in that space. So that goal setting thing can really be anything that you need it to be in your particular situation. Okay, look, it's fantastic talking to you tonight, Tanya. Tanya is from Responsible Gambling Victoria and she's the head of the Foundation's Prevention Program branch. The 100-day challenge, we'll actually put a hyperlink on our podcast, which will be due out on Wednesday, and you'll be able to get all the information. It's been a pleasure having you tonight. And, of course, if anybody is having any problems with gambling, one of the great places to start is the 100-day challenge. And, of course, they can always ring Gambler's Helpline at any time as well. Thanks so much for being on air tonight. Thank you for having me. Bye, Tanya. Hooked on Joy. You're listening to Hook with David and Russ. If you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause you distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 How are you, David? Now, look, I don't know whether you're... Um, for those of you in the city at the moment, Melbourne City, and you're listening in, it's Chinese New Year and we've just gone on with a, off with a bang with all those crackers going off in Chinatown. Now, you were just telling me a little story which um, will... Well, it dates back to when I worked at a well-known casino in Melbourne. Um, <coughs> and at this time of the year, a lot of people would be certainly... For cultural reasons, they would be uh, gambling at uh, that well-known casino here in Melbourne and they do it for a a period of about two weeks. And so it's good luck for them at this time of the year because it's Chinese New Year? Yeah, apparently so. Uh, But it's it's a a big thing. It is one of the busiest times at that well-known casino in Melbourne. Yeah. Heaps of people go there and they do spend an awful lot of money. I did mention before how a casino is designed to extract and scientifically put on the map in order to do that. So we've just had um, a guest on from Gambler's Helpline and if you find yourself in trouble at this time of the year where it is good luck to gamble, we suggest you ring the helpline on 1800 858 858. That's 1800 858 858. And that's for anybody. You don't have to be Chinese. You may be from the LGBTI community. You know, questioning your addictive behaviour is part of the brief of doing this show. We want people to actually maybe have a look and see what uh, might be going on in their lives. We know that uh, we have much higher rates of addiction in our community as LGBTIQ members and addiction rates are often two to three even four and five times that of the general community certainly we've talked to nurse betty in the past that our addiction rates in smoking for instance are four to five times higher than for regular folk 
uh, that aren't in our community. Uh, alcohol, two to three times higher, and certainly ice, four to five times higher than regular rates. And in fact, tonight we're going to have a little look around the world at addiction. And I've got a map here, Russ, yes. and I've been having a little look at it. And it's interesting because different countries are addicted to different drugs of choice. Now, Scotland is strangely enough hooked on cocaine. Iceland, of all places, smokes the most cannabis. Well, I've been to Iceland and I can vouch for that. Now, these are also done by per capita rates, of course, uh, but Iceland um, doesn't have a huge population, but they do smoke the most <laughs> cannabis, and which I doubt if they'd be able to grow it there either. So it must be getting into the country somehow as well. Well, I think it's interesting with cannabis because cannabis is seen as the most um, prolific drug all over the world. Yeah. Interestingly enough, you'll um, you'll see by per capita, New Zealand is right up the top there when it comes to um, cannabis. They certainly are. They're certainly higher than Australia. In fact, Iceland is the first place getter in cannabis, followed by the United States, New Zealand, Nigeria, Canada, Bermuda, and then Australia comes in about seventh or so. Now, I was a bit shocked with these stats when it came to ecstasy. Which is the number one country for ecstasy? Australia. We certainly win that one hands down. (laughs) And, yeah, I was quite surprised as well. We're looking at a 3% um, adult population using ecstasy, and uh, we are the top drug-using country of that particular drug. Uh, Cocaine, surprisingly, (laughs) is Scotland, and I would have said uh, maybe the United States. They are a very heavy user of cocaine, but Scotland is the top one there. And also amphetamine use is coming in... We're coming in third in the world, just behind El Salvador and the Philippines. Uh, New Zealand comes in after that, and also the United States. It's um, quite startling to see these sorts of figures. But interesting. Oh, yeah, it certainly is. Now, of course, the number one for the United States is opiates, of course. And we've heard President... Donald Trump. Trump, yes, it's hard to say his name on a, an LGBTIQ radio station. But we've seen that uh, the president has acknowledged that United States opiate use is rife there. Hey, uh, at around about 6%. Now, th- these studies, it's actually interesting too because the worldwide studies are usually put together by the UN or other drug uh, worldwide drug authorities. And the statistics are usually dated by a few years. It's very hard to get up to date. So, 2018 figures are very hard to get, but uh, the United States has around about a 6% uh, population uh, that are overusing opiates and are certainly addicted to them. Australia comes in number two, so we don't quite win there. Uh, We're coming in at around about 3.5% of our population. Now, this is a growing problem Mm. uh, all around the world, but certainly in the most developed countries such as places like the United States and Australia. And interestingly enough, it's surprising, but, you know, the United States has got a population of 325 million compared to our 28, I think. 25. But they also have these horrific numbers with regarding to overdose, which are really quite scary. I read some details today about the United States and the number of um, overdose they have per year and it's 53,000 people so we're not we're not talking about a couple of people having a um, having a little um, snort of cocaine or, or a little bit of ice or heroin we're talking about a big number of their population that end up overdosing and perhaps dying so it's it's crazy when you see these figures yeah look uh, the other thing that I've noticed too from some of these studies is where people seek help 
for treatment for overuse of drugs and uh, other things. Uh, these, these are certainly mainly drugs. We're not talking about alcohol or tobacco, which are the legal ones. But the two countries where the most people are seeking treatment for drug abuse uh, is really surprising. The number one country treating for, uh, uh, seeking treatment for abuse of these drugs is New Zealand which is really quite interesting. New Zealand has 14,392 people per million that are treated for drug addiction, which is mainly cannabis. And the number two country, very closely followed, is Iran. So in Iran, 14,192 people in every million are treated for opioid and most recently meth addiction. So you want to know why Iran though? uh, I don't know. Okay, this goes back in history. Iran is on the Silk Route, so yeah. it's a major trafficking route um, because the the, the uh, country next door to it, Afghanistan, sure. is a huge, oh, huge producer of poppies and, and heroin and, and opiates. So this is why Iran has such a huge problem because it's on the Silk Route, it's on a trafficking route, and a, a lot of that stuff goes through that country. So it, it is a major issue for um, for Persian people. Well, their, uh, their population would be about 10 times the size of New Zealand's, but uh, once again, I, you know, I hate doing numbers like 14,000, blah, 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 but it shows that uh, these two countries are, have, and th- this is indicative of the, the problems around the world, but these two countries lead in people actually seeking and being treated for addiction to the drugs of their choices in their countries, so uh, which is really quite amazing. In fact, in New Zealand, I was reading earlier today, uh, they spend the most on treatment for people in that area, and it works out to $27 per head of population. So they're the ones leading reform, uh, not necessarily reform in laws, but certainly reform in treating people in addiction. Also, uh, the most treated drug types uh, well are probably cocaine well the the opioids and certainly cannabis um, marijuana is the world's favorite drug certainly the most consumed so I just think of interest is um, uh, Portugal and we have briefly talked about Portugal in previous shows they um, were very similar to the United States where they had um, huge drug problems Uh, in that particular country and for many many years it was illegal it was outlawed it was banned and people were incarcerated and they had you know at one stage um you know 15,000 people um homeless people living on the streets in in Lisbon alone and um and it was it it was a a sad state of affairs so in the early 2000s this is one of those very progressive countries that legalized uh drugs of all sorts. Or decriminalisation, yes, yeah, which basically. frees up their court system as well. And and the um, amount of money which is uh, um, actually now spent on... Um, uh, treatment. Treatment and medical um, prevention, that's what all of this uh, financial spend is now on. And they have found that the people that they have now breaking the law or, or are incarcerated or medical for medical reasons have become addicted or overdosed on these drugs has dropped down to 1% or 2% of the population. Mm. And they're also spending more money on treatment just as places like New Zealand and Iran are. Look, we're going to come back in a few moments and continue this discussion. This is Hooked on Joy 94.9. Yes, you are listening to Hook tonight with Russ and David. 
We've had some great guests on the show tonight. We've had Nurse Betty talking about hoarding and of we've course. had Tanya talking about... Um, the 100-day challenge. Yes, which has been very exciting. I see on that app that you've joined up, so I hope all's going well for you there. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. <laughs> uh, I did it actually just to see how easy it was. It was research. It was research. And, no, it was, and it is very easy. And it's, uh, honestly, reading the testimonies of uh, people that have joined the app, and as Tanya said, she's had, I don't know, was it 20,000 or 30,000 people that have actually posted or different posts on people's progress and some of it you know it was almost bringing me to tears to see what was happening and they're things but that we I just take that for online, granted online chat rooms well, yeah, it's with like any, peer support. any type of addiction of course um, and i think it's very important that we do talk about the um, stigma and we should have a show about this in the future that, that, that with every addiction comes a sense of stigma and and people don't like to talk to their loved ones or people friends or people they're close to because they but. don't want to have to deal with the stigma but you can simply go online and google chat rooms for whatever your addiction is and start talking to people who have exactly the same exactly. problem and as you. Exactly, and it's that peer support and also chatting with somebody else that's in there. Because for a long time, you know, in addiction, uh, and we're both in recovery, we both would have felt like we're the only ones mm. and nobody understands what I'm going through. Don't you under... You don't know what I'm going mm. through. That sort of thing. And that would have been the catch cry most days for us. And people use that. If you have my problems, if you have my if you life, only knew, yeah. I'm the only one. If you have been through what I've been through this year, you would be doing it too. And, and then you find your tribe. Exactly. You find your tribe and you and you chat away with them. And it's true. Um, the it, do, it does not matter what your addiction is. These people are all in on the um, the website for exactly the same reason. They're to uh, swap stories, uh, help you identify, um, take notes, um, get help. All of this can be done online without you even having to talk to another person until you are ready to discuss your addiction with another human being. Exactly. Now, while having a little look at addiction around the world, I noticed that there is an epidemic of baby boomers who are hooked on painkillers. Half drug addicts are over the age of 50, say experts, and the word drug addict for most of us is synonymous with the image of a young person shooting up or snorting a line of white powder before slipping into a hazy coma, but that stereotype doesn't fit any longer according to the latest studies rather pain than addicts big well, no-no these yeah, days. they really are addicts hooked on painkillers in the u.s are more likely to be in their 50s and members of the baby boomer generation and in recent years there's been a change in drug use patterns especially for older adults and a lot of the the reason we know about this is because a lot of people are being admitted because these people are usually have a little bit more wealth behind them uh, being older but the rates of 50 to 59 year old people uh, back in 1996 they made up 7.8% of total patient population compared with in 2012 from 7.8% to 35.9%, a huge jump. And also in the 60 to 69 age group, they went from 1.5% of the patient population to 12% over the same period of time. This is a huge explosion in the populations of people seeking treatment. And this is the baby boomers that are hooked to opiates. And look, um, there was a time when uh, doctors were prescribing things like Xanax and painkillers and Panadine for to to everybody. You could go in there and say, "I'm not feeling well. I want a I want a prescription and this," and you could get that um, until um, people were starting to do the um, the prescription shop around, and they would just get uh, script after script and start hoarding all of these drugs and taking them um, as free willy nilly. I can remember before our show started on here, I went and did a bit of research with my 
local GP and I said, yeah. well, what, what, what did people used to come in and ask for? And, and as I said, it was, it was Xanax and, and uh, anything that would make you feel different. They would come in and ask for scripts and they would go prescription shopping. He said, that's all changed now. It's a big no-no to come and do that. Um, you know, we can get our licences taken away from us and the government is, is, is very serious about True. stopping the uh, prescription. People will go pres- uh, doctor shopping and also prescription shopping. Much I have harder got to get these drugs Yeah, now. look, I have got a pharmacist who's uh, certainly very cluey about this sort of thing and hopefully we'll get him on, on one of the future programs. We're going to have to wind it up. Do you realise oh. that the time has already gone? But if you are a prescription shopper, don't be afraid to ask for help. We don't want, you know, the stigma of being a prescription shopper stopping you from getting help from anybody. That's true. Look, we hope that you've enjoyed tonight's show and remind we you that have. if you are experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 I tell you, David, it is important to move away from self-destructive reasoning. Recovery involves breaking the cycle of addiction, removing the trigger of negative thinking and restoring us to emotional sobriety. You know, one of the greatest highs in, in life is just feeling good about yourself. Always remember that none of us are alone in this world and that the first step in recovery is to ask for help. It certainly is. And we want our community to be one of hope and look forward to your company next week as we continue to explore addiction on Hooked. You can also find our podcasts at joy.org.au slash hooked. Meanwhile, it's goodbye from Russ. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, David. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.